Hey guys, welcome to the Drop Bass Not Bombs podcast, where I interview interesting people in the electronic music scene who are raving for a cause and making the world a better place. Hosted by me, Amy Farina, aka MC Unicorn. Tune in Fridays twice a month to hear incredible stories, advice, and insider tips from ravers, artists, industry professionals, and more. And as always on this podcast, I interview people with different views and opinions that do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of those of my own or those of Drop Bass Not Bombs. And if you're planning on raving this weekend, no matter where you are, check your local guidelines, look out for your friends, and party safe, everyone. Today's episode is brought to you by Relita Couture. Relita Couture outfits are handmade in Las Vegas and are not only perfect for raving, but for any time you want to look amazing and confident. They have a new collection called Rebellously Sexy available now to order. Interested? Use code MCUNICORN for checkout for 15% off. That's M-C-U-N-I-C-O-R-N because sexy has no size. Before we jump into the interview, just a heads up that this is the second part of a two-part episode. If you haven't heard part one yet of my conversation with Kutsky, go back to episode 18, listen to that first, and then come back to this one. In the first part of the interview, we discussed how Kutsky went from being a BBC Radio 1 DJ to starting his own weekly Keeping the Rave Alive podcast, which has now over more than 500 episodes. We also talk about the evolution of the hard dance scene in the UK, what makes it so crazy today, and the current and future situation of live streams, and so much, much more. <laughs> in this episode, we dig deeper into Kutsky's personal life, becoming a DJ dad, his favorite video games, why so many ravers are also gamers, how we hate to love social media, and a lot more, of course. <laughs> Again, also, please keep in mind that this episode was recorded at the end of last year and the corona situation has changed since then. And the corona situation has, again, changed since then. I feel like I say that every time. But yeah, just check the news. <laughs> You'll see for yourself. I'm not going to keep giving updates because it changes every day. But anyway, just a heads up about that. And OK, without further ado, let's get into the interview. One thing that you do that sets other people apart is you make all these tutorials. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. You have a lot of tutorials on your YouTube channel about using different software and tips and tricks for DJs and producers. Can you talk a little bit about how you got started making those? Yeah, I mean, I think it was, again, it was just out of like fascination more than anything that it's like, I think it was when I was down at Radio One, somebody showed me one of those, like back in the day, it was called a flip cam. And it it was basically like look like a Mars bar or something with a little screen on the top and a camera on the other end of it. And if you pulled a little button on the side, a little USB flipped out the top and it was like a little portable video camera you could hold around film and then you just plugged it into your computer and ripped it off. And around then I just moved over to using Macs, like, you know, full time for production. Um, and that came with iMovie. I knew nothing about video editing, but then it's like that little camera only cost like about hundred quid. So I was like, well, I bought one of them. And I was going around, I was just filming little vlogs, I guess like early vlogs and then edit them together. And then YouTube was the thing that you could upload your videos to. And I was like, and it was, again, it was that, like I said, I enjoy the creative process of anything of like, of having an idea, seeing it through, going back to the end and being able to have this like little package at the end that you can say, I created that. And then from that, then I was like, okay, I'll film myself doing a little bit of DJ and then I'll film, like, I'll show how you do this. Now you do that. And it's, it's just like, it was just like, it was just a fun project to do. 
it's the same same with everything. I, like enjoy it that you can spend like a day, two days, you know, working on something, and then at the end of it, you've got this this thing that you can present to the world that you've created. So I mean that that's really all it was. And then the other thing is, there's a lot of people asking the same things over and over again, and you know, kind of like, and then you can like point them to a tutorial. And then obviously everything that we do, like I said, that the, there's the the standard dance music thing that you just sit there working for free all week, and all the work that you do during the week leads to popularity, which leads to gigs at the weekend. And it was just another way to pull in another audience. Maybe somebody's not going to listen to my podcast. Maybe somebody's not going to listen to my music. But maybe somebody on YouTube that's into DJing will stumble across it and they'll know me because of that. And the more notoriety you've got, the more likely you are to get booked. So it's like, it's I, I just try and find as many different random things that I can do that I enjoy, that also, you know, help out with my career as well. So it's, you know, kind of like, you know, it's one, one hand helping the other. Yeah, you're doing a great thing for the scene because now, you know, anyone can just go online, can learn like back in the day, you'd probably need to get a book, get records. You know, now it's it's, it's really accessible just to find out this information online. So I think what you're doing is a really good service for the scene. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like a lot of people have kind of always had the mentality of I know how to do something that other people don't. And if other people figure that out, that makes me less valuable. But it's like I don't really subscribe to that theory at all i think that it's like you know if i make videos showing how to do djing tricks and i became super popular from it then everybody's going to make you know dj video trick videos and if everybody's making them i can watch their videos and i can get even better as a dj too so every you know rising tide raises you know kind of all boats and stuff and it's like so i don't i think it's very short-sighted to go i've got this one trick that nobody else does other than me and if I don't tell anyone how to do it, I've got something special because sooner or later, somebody's going to figure that trick out. They're going to make the video and then, you know, and, and you're going to be where you would be anyway. So you may as well just share the love. You know, it's, I, I, feel, I want to give a shout out to Joey Riot, actually, because I, obviously Joey's a very good friend of mine. We don't really worked in the studio first time, probably like, I don't know, six, seven years ago, despite being you know, friends for like many years. When I went down there, it was like, you know, it was when he was just starting doing the destructive tendency stuff. And I was always struggled with the, um, you know, kind of like, you know, making the, Gabba kick drum. Are we calling it Gabba or Hardcore? Because we kind of got the Dutch UK connection here. We're Gabba Hardcore, we can call it. <laughs> so, like, you know, destructive tendency style kick drums. It's like, it, it's hard to make that sound and to get it right to sound as good as the Dutch people. And a lot of people in the UK, we, we've got like that UK sound and it was always like a more plastic sample-based sound. And Joey, being the studio genius that he is when he was doing the destructive tendency stuff, had built up some project that, you know, he could make his kick drums with. And I was looking at it and it was this super complex chain of plugins and you start with this and then you change this and these. Are, and he was like, but basically, you know, you can feed in whatever source you want. And then from there that you just fiddle with these three different plugins and you'll get all these different types of kicks and you can sample them. And then you, it's what it's the project that I use for making, you know, the destructive tendencies kick drums. I was like, that's amazing, man. And he was like, yeah, do you want the project? And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, take the project away. He's like, you can use it to make your kick drums. I was like, what? <laughs> like people don't do that. Like people still don't do that. Again, it was like, it was like the golden egg. And that was the first time I'd worked with Joey in the studio and he gave me the project. And I was like, you sure, man? Because like, what if I want to use it in a track? And he was like, no, great, go for it. And he was like, he was like, I'm sure you'll figure out with it and then add more things into it or figure out some other stuff that I didn't know. And, he, and you can give it back to me and we'll all learn. And I was like, and I think it's like, there's, there's a lot of merit in that, that way of thinking with, with stuff. And then it's like, you know, you look how successful Joey's been with everything that he's done in his career. And he's like the most generous giving, you know, kind of like, you know, person in, in that respect. So I think that, you know, 
like to take myself out the equation, that's hard proof that being generous with knowledge is much better for your career than being protective of it. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's a community. We all have to work yeah. together. You know, that, that's what I think yeah. as well. I know recently though, tutorials have been a little bit controversial because there is a trend sometimes for people to watch a tutorial or to t take a sample from an artist and then kind of copy it without making their own unique sound. What do you think about that? Do you think this is a problem or do you think this is just people complaining or? <laughs> I think, I, I think people just misunderstanding the, the process that you go through, like when you first come along, you don't like headhunters didn't come along and just come up with his headhunters sound out of nowhere. It's like when he first loaded up his music production tools, he would have been trying to copy other people. He hasn't got a vision before you start. I mean, you start by imitating the people that you like. I mean, obviously I can't speak on his behalf. Maybe he did. Maybe the guy's like some kind of like superhuman genius, but <laughs> it's like, you know, I knew when I started DJ and I love DJ Brisk, love DJ Hixie, copied them, bought all the tunes that they played in their sets. You listen to some of my early tapes, you know, kind of like that I was recording when I was like 15, 16 years old. It's like, you know, you, the track list, you could have mistaken for a brisk track list in just like shit a mixing because I wasn't very good back then. But you know what I mean? It's like, that's how it was. And then it's like, as, as thing goes on, you know, you imitate the people that you like. And then it's like, and slowly as things move on, you pull in more influences. So it's like, I like this DJ, I like this DJ, I like this DJ. So then you're like an amalgamation of like, you know, kind of like of all these different things that unless somebody pointed it out, you probably wouldn't notice it. And then once you start to really understand what's going on, then you start to have your own opinions and then you start to, so it's like a budding flower. It's like it, a flower doesn't just appear. It's like, it goes through the process of like, you know, the bud, you know, kind of like growing. And it's like, and I think copying what other people do it's like it's massively useful to it. I mean, I don't know, maybe maybe I've never really spoken to anybody about it before, but that's how I do everything is start off by copying the things that I like just for my own enjoyment. And it's like, and I think maybe if somebody gets like too big too quickly, people will point out that they haven't evolved to the next level yet. And maybe that's where it comes from. But that's a part of the process of, you know, self-development. I think it is with anything. I mean, artists don't just have a vision of what they want to draw. Surely they copy other people's drawings first. I'm terrible at drawing. I don't know this, but I mean, I'd imagine like, you know, if, if you, when you buy, buy your first pack of pencils, you copy something, don't you? Don't you? Yeah. And they say imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Right. And I think we've come so, I mean, it's, it's, we've come so far now in society that there's not that many original ideas left anymore. Everything comes from something. I mean, of course there are still original ideas, but everything needs to come from something. There's been so many ideas over the course of history, you know, and over the course of time that everyone draws inspiration from something, whether let's say I'm sitting here in my office and I hear a bird outside and that bird inspires me to, okay, I'm going to do, you know, a podcast about sustainability now in nature, you know, everything comes from something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but that's what I think is it's like, you know, obviously it's like Brennan Hart's not looking at what Headhunter's latest track is and copying it because they're, and vice versa, because they're both super established artists that have got, you know, a, you know, a whole career's worth of experience behind them where they have their own vision and their own sound. But that doesn't just come overnight. I mean, it's like, I think it's like, that's how anybody starts with anything. It's like, you know, you, you start, you see something and you think that's cool. I want to do it. I mean, like, I mean, surely that's like, that's how everything, that's how everybody starts with everything. And like I said, I think it's just part of the creative process. Now, if you're the, you know, kind of like a headliner to, you know, an event and all you are is a complete rip off of somebody else, 
then maybe that's a different story. But I don't think that that's really, you know, when people are coming up and they watch a tutorial video from somebody and then they copy that and then they make a track and they put it on SoundCloud because they're proud of what they've managed to do. It's like, I don't think you need to hate on them for that point. It's like, you know, if, if that's all they do forever, chances are like, you know, nobody's going to want to um, book the Frontliner clone when you can book Frontliner but that frontliner clone might figure out how to do that and then also fold in other stuff and come up with their own unique sound over, you know, years and years. I mean, it doesn't happen overnight. So I think people, I, I mean, yeah, I can't, I don't know the specific examples that you um, may be referencing with it, but it's like, I think I, I get the vibe of, you know, what, what people are saying and maybe with more up and coming artists. And I think maybe just because of the internet, people are getting a little bit more exposure than, um, than they might have at that stage of their career previously. But I think it's like live and let live. If you don't like people's music, don't buy it, you know, don't listen to it. But it's like everybody goes through that creative process, as far as I'm aware, by listening to the people that they like and copying them and then evolving on that style over time to create their own unique style. So I think, you know, let the process run its course and don't don't get too involved in what other people are doing. Yeah, I think so, too. I think back in the day, you know, in order to hear music, you needed to go out to the clubs and hear it or you needed to buy the record. Um, but now it's everything is so accessible. It's so easy to go online now and learn how to do something. You don't necessarily need to go to school for things anymore so much. You can learn almost everything on YouTube or, you know, from tutorials and things like that just makes things more accessible. And I think, but yeah, like you said, just let people do what they want and sounds will evolve. Music will evolve. Um, people don't need to necessarily copy people forever. They can just use it as a guide to, to create their own sound. Yeah, definitely. There's something we haven't talked about yet. And that is your love for video games. <laughs> I know yes. we're kind of taking a turn a little bit. Uh, I see you're wearing a Nintendo 64 shirt now in the video. <laughs> yes. Representing. Representing. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the overlap between video games and electronic music generally first, because like I've mentioned for me, I got into EDM through dance dance revolution, but the, uh, electronic music and video games have had a long history. Can you talk a little bit about that? And why is there such an overlap between these two subcultures between these two things? Um, so it's, yeah, I mean, is it a pop culture thing that, you know, around the time that electronic dance music started coming around and getting popular was around the time that, you know, video games started becoming popular? Is it something about like, you know, our generation when we were younger, the music that appealed to us was also at the time that, you know, video games would appeal to you. It's, it's, it's tough. I don't really, don't really know, to be honest, but the fact that, um, that so many people that are into rave music are also into video games. It's a big overlap, isn't it? Or is it just that a lot, I mean, are people that are into rock and metal into video games? I guess so. It's, 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 it's a tough one to kind of think about. But then the other thing is, is I think it's like the music in video games has always appealed to me when it's been very electronic based, you know, because it's like you listen to some like early NES style, you know, video games. And it's almost like it's the same elements that made happy hardcore appeal to me in the early days, you know, being upbeat, happy melodies, fast, energetic. And so, yeah, it's, yeah, there, there definitely is an overlap and yeah, maybe the, maybe the cultures, I mean, you look at the culture of the rave scene, especially in America and the people that, you know, kind of like the, the type of age range and the type of people that go out raving are also the type of people that video games and stuff like that are going to appeal to as well, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Basically I... what is, I'm trying to politely say is we're all nerds and yeah. nerds, like rave music and video <laughs> games appeals to nerds. 
I was thinking that as well. And also anime too. There's also a huge overlap between the anime subculture and electronic music. And yeah, maybe it's just because like we're, ner- we're, we're nerds. Yeah, it's like nerdy culture stuff, isn't nerdy it? Like, and it's like a, I don't mean that in a bad way because obviously, you know, I'm, I'm here in the thick of it, but... <laughs> Yeah, I think I think so, too. And I think also the energy in certain video games just lends itself to having electronic music. You want to have upbeat, fast music if you have a dancing game, for example, or you have a driving game. Uh, for example, my boyfriend's always playing uh, Forza Horizon. It's it's a driving game that takes place at a music festival. So, of course, you're going to have EDM in that game because you're not going to drive to soft jazz, most likely. If yeah. you're racing, <laughs> you're going to drive yeah, to you want orange. the adrenaline pumping. Yeah. The adrenaline. Well, the thing is, I wonder, it's, you know, like I said, when I got into DJing, um, it was because I wanted something to do while I was listening to the music. And I tie a lot of music to video games because I was listening to the music whilst I was playing video games because you need something to do at the time. Like, it's like, I've got like the certain like weird musical references that I've got, like the Prodigy's first album, Prodigy Experience for me is like unbreakably tied to Duke Nukem 3D because I just listened to that album and played that game nonstop. Same as Chemical Brothers, Exit Planet Dust is completely tied to Quake 1, which a lot of people tell me is a crime because the soundtrack on Quake 1 is so legendary. I don't even know what it is because the first thing that I did is turn the music off, left the sound effects on, whacked the CD in the PC and played Quake with the Chemical Brothers album on loop. And it's like, so now I just, they just re-released Quake after 25 years or whatever, re-released it on the Switch. The first thing I did was got it and then re-downloaded the Chemical Brothers Exit Planet Dust album and listened to that whilst playing it again. And it's like, so I think you get these bonds, don't you, between music and games. Yeah, I think it's just something that's always going to go together. At least I hope it's always going to go together. Um, yeah, I mean, it's how- so important, isn't it? Like still when you listen back to, you know, any new video games and stuff like that that come out at the moment and it's like the soundtrack's really important to it. Even the old like, you know, retro like Shovel Knight and stuff like that, like old like retro inspired pixel art games, the chip tune soundtrack is a, a key part to the game. So, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it just makes it more interesting for sure. How do you incorporate video games into your brand? I shoehorn it in, really. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> I wouldn't really say it's like it's it's a natural part of it. I mean, I try not to force it too hard into the Keeping the Rave Alive stuff, to be honest, because that's kind of its own concept and that. But, you know, if you follow me as like, you know, as a personality as well as an artist, it's like I love video games. So it's like like I make little video game reviews and stuff like that. And, you know, video game related content because it's a Sunday, my missus is round at a mum's with the baby and I've got a bit of time to myself. And it's, again, it's, it's that I don't feel like doing any music stuff because I've been doing that all week and I just want that creative outlet. And I don't know if I sit down and make a little video game review, I can get my thoughts out that, you know, cause I'm like, not, I wouldn't say a, like a terribly opinionated person, but if I've got a thought on something or, you know, a theory, it's like, I like to tell people about it. So it's like, you know, if I'm playing a game and I've got thoughts about it, I can express my thoughts and then also play some games which I enjoy and then go through the creative process of like figuring out okay you know how do um how do I record the footage and then edit it together and then put it together and then master it and get it and then at the end of it I've got this little three four minute package that I can look back and go I just made that didn't exist before and now I can make it and now I can share it with the world so, and I get that little buzz again it's like what I was saying before about that you know that creative satisfaction that you can get with stuff and it's like so I'd be doing that you know, even if I had an office day job and I wasn't DJ and I'd just be making that and I wouldn't be chasing views with it or anything. I'd just be making it because that's what I enjoy doing. And it's just like 
another little piece of the puzzle. So yeah, I mean, there's other stuff like I've done like a keeping the rave alive episode special about video game music. But again, that was just like fun. That was just like, I love video game music. I love the music out of games. So I wanted to just for fun, make a keeping the rave alive show, but with music from games instead of rave music. And it's not like let's pivot the show. And that's what it is from now on. It was just a special, just, you know, kind of like, because my podcast, I'd like to think it's kind of personality led to a certain extent. I'm not trying to put myself, you know, ahead of the music or anything, but it's like, I, I talk a lot and like, like to talk about how I'm feeling about things and stuff like that. That's, you know, to make the, to add a little bit more personality to the podcast. And obviously, you know, when I go down a rabbit hole of being obsessed with video game music, then it's something that, you know, I feel like I could share with people. So. Yeah. I mean, the best thing about podcasts, it's like, it's a capsule in time. So people yeah. might listen, you know, if, if my podcast, for example, because it came out during the pandemic, the pandemic comes up in every single, there are just certain things that have come up in every single episode. It's just a capsule in time. And for you with video games, it's something that's really important to you. So of course it's, it's going to come up, you know, and it's going to keep coming up. So I think that's the cool thing about podcasts. It's, it's forever in time. It's forever going to be there. And it really showcases where you're at in that period of your life, you know? Yeah, 100% for better or for worse. <laughs> yeah, for better or for worse. <laughs> Definitely. Um, do you have, what's your favorite video game of all time? Or is that a hard question? Um, it's a hard question. Uh, honestly, I think it's, I don't know if you know the Persona series. Um, no, of games I don't. Like RPGs, like Japanese RPGs. And this does, the, I'm not trying to go for a deep cut here, trying to look cool. Because the reason why I love that game so much is I'd never actually played an RPG before it. Like now when I hear people talk about, oh, when I was grew up and I used to play Zelda on the Super Nintendo and it's like, you know, and oh, you know, I've played Final Fantasy on the PlayStation. I never played any of them. It was always arcade games for me. And my dad's always been into video games as well. And he'd bought, um, he had a PlayStation Vita and I had one as well. And he'd bought Persona 4 Golden and I had no idea what it was. And he bought it and he had no idea what it was. And he was like, this is absolute bullshit. He turned it on. He was like, it's like a cartoon and it just keeps going and going with talking for ages. Do you want it? And I was like, I was flying out of Canada the next day. So I was like, yeah, I'll give it a go, whatever. You know, what else am I going to do on the flight for like seven hours? So, so I got it off him. No idea what it was. No, you know, kind of like preconceptions or anything. So I put it in and it's like started. And I'm like, oh, it is a bit very like, you know, text heavy, story driven. But it was one of them that I don't know whether it's, you know, whether you're sometimes you're just in a good place. And I was on the flight to Canada and it was delayed, but I was like on the runway and like nice air hostess has come down. Do you want to drink? Give me a cheeky gin and tonic like that. I had a row of three seats to myself. It was just before Christmas. You know, when you're just generally feeling good, normally flying doesn't leave you feeling like that. But I was like in a good place. I sat down, row of three seats to myself, charger plugged in, sitting there with my Vita. And I just got absorbed into this story. And I think I said seven hours, didn't I? It's like far side of that. It's more like, you know, 10, 11 hours, especially with the delay of the flight. And I just played it nonstop all the way through. And I got so sunken into this story. And I've no idea what I'm doing with playing an RPG. And it was only like, you know, I couldn't wait to get to the hotel to carry on playing it. And all the rest of the tour and all the traveling that I was doing, I was just constantly playing this like Japanese RPG game about these like school kids that are unsolving this mur mystery murder. And there's like another dimension and another world and monsters come out of it. And I just like, couldn't get enough of this shit. And so I absolutely loved it to the point that it was only once I got to the end of this 70 hour game that I really figured how I was actually supposed to be playing it properly because I've never played RPGs before. And then I new game plus it and played it all the way through again. So it's like, it got to the point that it's like, oh, I think it was like 150 hours or something like that. By the time I was like done with it. And it was just this whole, I think it was like from like a Christmas to the next summer where I was just constantly playing this game all the time. 
obsessed with it, loved it so much. And I never, I don't know whether it was a particular time and place in my life and stuff, you know, when you're just in a good place and, and stuff, but it was, and when you're on flights, sometimes you can be a bit miserable, you know, when you're away on your own, I know it sounds like the dream job and I don't want to complain about it, especially now I can't do it. Cheers pandemic. Um, <laughs> but it's like, you, you can be quite miserable when you're like traveling alone on your own over and over again. And it's like another flight and you sat there for like seven, eight hours, 10 hours, and then a layover, and then another three hours and you haven't slept. But the fact that I had this world that I could escape into. So in, in, since then I've been chasing that persona for golden high and I've been trying to play persona five on the PlayStation, the new one and stuff, but I don't think it not being a handheld experience is what it was, you know, that I could take it with me. And it's doesn't seem as, it's not clicking with me the same, even though it's supposed to be an amazing game and I am enjoying it. It's just like the thought of going to it, it's like, oh, turning it on and, you know, where it's just like popping it out my pocket and just carrying on playing with it. And I don't know whether, it, like I said, the fact that Persona 5 is critically much better than 4 makes me think that it was just a right time, right place thing. But for me, it's just that game, like I absolutely love it. And it's not the type of game that I normally like. Normally I like arcade action, retro influenced games. That's more my thing. But that was just like head and shoulders, like, you know, as, as an experience, I just fell in love with that game. Uh, do you have a review on the game as well? Have you been reviewing it, the new one? No, because I'd started doing, what did I do, right? It was, so for those who haven't been following, it's like I've got like an eight-month-old baby at the moment. So this time last year was, um, my missus would have been like seven months pregnant at that point. No, like, no, like probably like, yeah, six or something maybe. So I'm there thinking to myself, I've got until the start of April to like that I've got free time before the baby's here. And, I, and Persona 5 had been out for ages and I was there going, I'm going to play it, I'm going to play it. And then they'd released, I played a little bit of it and then I bounced off it and then, you know, got distracted. Couldn't remember where it was at. Couldn't remember where the story was at. And I was like, oh, I'll start it again sometime. Then they did the... um like the Persona 5R, was it? Which is like, you know, like the, the all singing, all dancing, all the extras in it, revamped, finished up. It's supposed to be even better. So I'm like, okay, fuck it. I'll buy that. It was in this Christmas sale. I was like, I'll buy it. And the one thing that I'm going to do is finish that so I can have experienced that game before the baby's here. Got halfway through it before the baby was there. And I was like, I'll be all right. Because when the baby's asleep at night and I've got to sit up with him, I can just sit there and play Persona wrong having a baby doesn't work like that apparently so yeah so it's still I'm, i can vaguely remember where i was up to with it um but then i started to have that problem because I, I had to go back to the uk for like a month um because of the testing when i quite went back to do the gigs i had to stay there i couldn't go backwards and forwards so i was at my parents and my dad had a playstation and i was like i could re-download it and play persona again and i re-downloaded it but you know when you've had like a six month gap from a game just the thought of playing it was exhausting even thinking about it and i was like uh, and I still haven't got around to playing it. So, so there we go. Maybe that's the end. I want it on the switch. I know this is like, I'm turning it into a proper tangent here, but it's like, I want the handheld experience of persona. That's what I want. I have a switch now. I got a switch and I'm so excited. So it's amazing. I, I love it. Yeah. That's honestly, I've got a PlayStation five and a switch. I haven't touched the PlayStation five barely in a year now, because obviously, you know, with like, you know, family circumstances don't have a lot of time to play gaming but then the idea that it's like I, when i've got a couple of hours i can drop it into the dock sit there and play it on the tv with the controller great and then when i'm on the go i can pick it up take it with me travel it carry on playing the same game on a flight when i'm allowed to fly and then it's like you know when the baby's asleep i can just grab it out 
sit next to him, play it. And if he wakes up after an hour, great. If he wakes up after 20 minutes, just put it back to sleep again. When he's gone to bed at night, maybe I can grab another 20 minutes before. And it's just that that portability and the flexibility of it. I don't know, again, whether it just like fits in with my, you know, like personal circumstances and, you know, life at the moment. But it's like I haven't been able to play the PlayStation because all the games are these big epic games. And it's like, you know, you turn on something like, what is it, that Ghost of Tsushima or something like that. It's like if you've got half an hour, by the time you've booted up your PlayStation, loaded the game, loaded your save game, remembered what you're supposed to do, gone and got the mission off the guy, baby's awake again if he's had a good sleep. <laughs> so it's kind of like the idea of just being able to load, you know, kind of turn it on. You're instantly back where you were before. And it's like that, that type of thing. I know you've got the quick load and the quick resume and stuff, but it's still not the same as having to, you know, kind of like, you know, turn on the TV and all the rest of it. It's like the portability of the Switch is brilliant for me at the moment. Yeah, for me, it's, it came at a really good time now that everything's locked down. And I'm like, well, it sucks, but there's Animal Crossing and Mario Kart. Animal Crossing <laughs> was, like I said, at the start of a lockdown, um, me and my missus both had Animal Crossing on our Switches. And before I really got heavily into the streaming and stuff, when we thought it was, we thought it's going to last a month, this pandemic, it'll last a month. I'll lose gigs for a month. And it's like, so I must have spent like a month solid just playing Animal Crossing. And then at that point, I was like, ah, oh, this isn't going away. I better go and try and do something. But yeah, that first month, it's like, yeah, we put like a horrific amount of time into Animal Crossing between the two of us. It's an addicting game. I actually had it for GameCube as a kid um, and for the DS. And when I found it was coming out for the Switch, I didn't get a Switch until literally like this year. So I'm really, really late to the game. So I finally have it. I'm like, I can finally play Animal Crossing. This is my one of my favorite games as a kid. And it is very addicting. It's yeah, And it's also just really rewarding. Every time you do something, it's like, yay, my house is bigger now. Or like, oh, just, it, yeah, it, it gives you a little bit more it Gives purpose. you the dopamine hits, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, the dopamine hit that I need. I genuinely I need. think, if if somebody asks me in 10, 15 years what my favorite game of all time is, I genuinely think Animal Crossing might be up with it because assuming that we all come out of this unscathed and get on and live happy lives and live happily ever after, this will take us back to a specific period of time. Whenever I hear that, like the music at the start of the game, I'm like, oh, Jesus, it's the start of the pandemic or over and over again. Talking about, you know, like the relationship between like, you know, music in games and a time period of your life, whenever I hear that music, I'm like, oh shit. It's like, that's like, it so vividly takes me back to a time and a place. And it's like, and I didn't like, you know, for all the, all the, you know, the negativity of the, the pandemic and stuff, it's kind of the fact that it's like, I was locked down with, you know, in a two bedroom apartment in another country, couldn't see me, you know, all the negative side of it, no career, all of that. It's like, you know, I got to spend a lot of time, you know, with my now wife, and it's kind of like, you know, then, you know, at the time it's like, you know, girlfriend, and that, that was kind of the moment with it really that, um, cause obviously we're married now. Um, that was the moment that it's like, you know, that you can get married because if you can survive a pandemic in a two bedroom apartment together and 24 hours a day with each other, if you can get through that, then you, then there's not much more that, you know, anything else in life can throw at you. That's going to be any harder, is it? So yeah, then you can get through anything. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about uh, being a father. Congratulations. I know I said that right, but congratulations again. How has it been balancing everything? A baby, a pandemic, DJing, live streams, the podcast. Honestly, that's probably more of a better question for my missus because she's the star of the show with that. It's like I said, you know, when I said um, earlier that I had to go back to the UK for a month, there was an opportunity when like the lockdown got lifted in the UK, there was an opportunity to go back and take some gigs, but you had to go there, take three tests, quarantine, 
for like 10 days and do, you know, all this kind of like, you know, bullshit with it. And there was a lot of costs involved with it. The flights were expensive. And then, like I said, you couldn't go backwards and forwards, but we'd managed to string together. I think it was three weekends solidly of bookings. And then there was a week before it that I would have had to go to quarantine. And my baby was like three months old at the time. And I had to leave for a month. And it's like, as much as that killed me, having to, you know, anyone that's got kids, like, you know, you don't want to, like, all I was thinking, you know, like, selfishly, I was thinking, you know, what if I, you know, I'd like really bonded with a little guy by that point, you know, because obviously I didn't have to go to work or anything. So I'd spent like, you know, 24 hours a day with him. And I'm thinking if I go away for a month, I'm going to come back. Is he even going to recognize me or remember me and stuff, you know, when they're that young and stuff with it. So that was like, you know, a very trying part of it for, for me. But the other thing was, is for my missus, I've, you know, with a three month old baby recovering after giving birth and going through pregnancy and the whole, you know, like turns your body upside down and what it does with, you know, your hormones and having to deal with all of that. And then having to deal with a three month old baby on your own for a month while your boyfriend goes off and plays records in another country. It's like that, you know, that was as much as it, I saw it as difficult for me, incredibly difficult for her. And then, you know, there's still like a lot of times with that, you know, since then that I've, I've gone away the way that we've tried found like the happy medium is if I can do two weekends away, then that means like, you know, I'm away for like 10 days at a time. So I'll go back, do two weekends worth of gigs, come back and then take care of whatever, you know, work I've got to do at home and maybe take a weekend or two off, you know, which I would never have done before, but it was just that, you know, kind of it's, I don't really know how I'm doing with balancing it all, to be honest. And I don't know how it's going to change in the future. Like I said, when they dropped all the testing, it was great for like a month that I could just go back to the UK play a gig, come back again, could leave for a day, leave on the Saturday, play Saturday night, come home on Sunday, no big deal. But, you know, then now it's gone back to the thing that if I go away, there's, you know, I'm going away for, I've got to add in the quarantine time before the gigs at the moment. And if anybody on the flight tests positive, regardless of my vaccination status or negative tests, you've got to quarantine wherever you are for 10 days which means that I could come back, somebody else tests positive on the flight. I then can't play the gig, have to pay for a hotel for 10 days, quarantine there, and then leave my missus with a baby for 10 days again. So it's kind of, then you've got to make the decision. Well, you know, is what I'm doing right for my family? Is it right for my career? But, you know, my career long-term is also what's going to be beneficial for my family. So there's a lot to juggle with it and a lot to try and think, am I being selfish wanting to go and play this gig? Or am I being overly paranoid by not taking this gig? And yeah, so it's, there's, there's a lot to do with it. It's like I said, you know, like we're, we're all trying our best. Like my, like I said, my missus is a star. She never moans at me for anything. If there's ever an opportunity, she's like, listen, just go and do it. You've got to do it. You know, you've worked all this time, you know, kind of like, don't worry about it. We'll be fine. You know, it's, you know, kind of, she's been like the most possibly supportive you could ever expect anybody to be. But at the same time as I don't want to put her in a shitty situation where I don't have to. So like I said, we kind of, we're getting through it. But it's like, it's not like I, you know, kind of think, oh, you know, I've got the answer to, you know, to being a parent and a, a DJ because it would be hard enough as it goes anyway. Like, you know, I remember speaking to Darren Styles, who's kind of pretty much my role model for having an amazing career and also being a, you know, a good husband and a good father. Anybody that knows anything about him, it's like, you know, completely doting family man and also incredibly musically talented with an amazing career over a sustainable period of time. So if you can give me a better example of somebody to role model your career after, I'd love to hear it. But yeah, I remember Darren telling me like, you know, a while back, like, you know, he was saying that um, DJing is a single man's game. And, you know, he was saying how you know, like, tough it is, you know, having to do the you know, the traveling and, and stuff, you know, with the family, but he's managed to balance it amazingly well. So, yeah. And, and one of the nicest messages that I got was from Darren when, um, when I just given birth and he said, like, he was like, 
he goes, I'm absolutely no expert, but if you never ever need any advice on being a DJ dad, I'm always here for you. And it's like, and I was like, kind of like, well, I hate to argue it, but you kind of are the blueprint for being a DJ dad, <laughs> if we're being honest. So, um, so yeah, so that was like really nice. And like I said, I don't think there's, it's, it's difficult pre-pandemic and now throwing in the pandemic this year, the challenges that I've had have been completely unique. They've never existed before this year. And they'll never exist after this year. Like I said, the challenges aren't done from the pandemic, but the challenges that next year presents will be different than this year. So we've just got to try and figure it out as we go along. But like I said, that it's, you know, um, like amazing, amazing wife that's totally understanding and, um, and a happy, healthy baby. So absolutely nothing to complain about. That's amazing. Well, it sounds like you have a really good support system. And now you could be a DJ dad example as well for others. <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully it's what, it's what I strive to hopefully achieve. This is the question that I ask all my guests. How do you rave for a cause or how do you party for a purpose in your life? One of the things that I always try and be is quite transparent because I don't like the fakeness that goes with the dance music industry. My prime example is like um, during the pandemic, good friends of mine, obviously I'm not going to name them because this isn't like, you know, kind of like really a compliment, but it's just, it's a reflection of the scene. If people I'd spoken to privately were going, oh man, this pandemic's like fucking sending me under, man. I'm just like living off my savings here at the moment. I, you know, I've got like three months before I'm going to have to really start trying to think about something else to do for a living, man. I'm in bits. It's like, I don't know what to do with it. And then you look at their Instagram and they're posting pictures of festivals going, this is my my life and it's like i know you've got to portray like a, an image supposedly don't necessarily think you are i think it's like you know i don't i try not to ever be negative like you know kind of oh woe is me and tell everybody about how hard my life is and you know and send people under i want people to listen to me and it's like you know and kind of have a bit of laugh but i think you can be a little bit self-deprivating um and you can kind of just like be more true and be more honest with your feelings. Because the other thing is, is I know myself that it's like, if you look at um, like what goes on in the world with Instagram and I'm like, oh man, everyone's killing it and everyone's having such a good time and I'm really struggling here and it makes you feel really shitty about yourself. And then you speak to everybody that you've just looked at personally and it's like, they're going through all the same problems that you are. So I've always tried to not do that. Try my best not to do that, to, you know, to make myself very human. I'm not trying to make myself out to be any kind of like, you know, superstar or god isn't it? you know like this like status or you know kind of like look at me i'm not trying to paint that image of myself i just want to be like you know like an enthusiastic guy that shares the same interests of other people and it's like and i appreciate people supporting me and following me and it's like and i've always tried to do that because i don't like the um i don't like social media if we're being totally honest it's like i don't like what it does it's like i see people post stuff online even like you know people on that i know personally nothing to do with dance music and i think if i only saw what you post online you come across as a proper dick but whenever i see you in person i really like you so it'd just be better if you didn't have social media and i think that that goes for a lot of people it's like people feel that there's a persona that they have to live up to online and i think when everybody's looking at everybody else's persona online and everyone's saying about how great their life is with it i mean i at the moment like, i i really like apologies if anybody's watching this and send me any messages on um, social media. I don't check any of the inboxes really anymore. It's like, I'm terrible with it. I'll glance at it now and again. And partly the reason for that was, is I'd found myself like looking at things. And when like people, when people are just posting negative stuff all the time, like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this is happening. And you're just looking at that just sends you under like, oh God, the world's such a shitty place because all this terrible stuff's happening to people around you. And then when good things are happening to people all the time, you're thinking, well, why aren't they happening to me? And this is like natural human reactions and human feelings. So I'm thinking this, so there's people that I genuinely like 
and it's like, and I look at it and it's like, and when, and it's making me feel shitty when bad things are happening to people and it's making me feel shitty about myself when good things are happening to people. And also I know how fake everything that everybody's talking about is. So I'm like, why am I even looking at this? It's like, I keep in touch with the people that I know and, you know, and it's like, and it's all like that. And it's like, and I'll chat in the comments and on Twitter and backwards and forwards, but frivolous stuff. I don't think, you know, if somebody's looking for the meaning of life, like don't come to a hard dance DJ. And especially with a pandemic, it's like, you know, I'm happy to talk about all the struggles that we're all going through and we're all in this together. But when it comes to the vaccine stuff and the lockdown stuff and the masks versus anti, the amount of DJs that I've seen, you know, kind of have opinions on this one way or the other. And it's like, I'm not convinced that we're the most qualified people to be talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, cause I know personally, it's like, obviously we've listed off all the stuff that I've done this year. Obviously I've had to make my decisions this year, the same as everybody's had to make their decisions about what they're going to do with stuff. But it's like, I haven't had the time to research it. I'm not qualified in any kind of thing. So I'm not in a position to tell anybody what they should or shouldn't do. And it's like, and I see a lot of people that are telling people what they should and shouldn't do that are about as qualified as me for it. So I kind of think that it's like my way of like kind of contributing back is to not talk about very important issues that I'm not qualified to talk about and also trying to be as real as I possibly can with stuff. So yeah, that's, that's what I've always tried to do with it. And I think if you know anyone that listens to the Keeping the Rave Alive show, it's a very positive show, but it's also not a very look how great I am show. It's I try and keep it humble and positive. And I think that, you know, if everybody lived like that on social media, then the, I think mental health wouldn't be the problem that it is, to be honest. Yeah, social media is a difficult one. We talk about it a lot on the podcast. And the problem is, of course, you know, if you have a brand, especially a brand, you know, like yours or like mine, that is very positive. You want to post positive things. You want to post that. I'm having a great day. Everything's awesome. Look at me at this party. Look at me here. But, you know, at the same time, too, that presents a message to other people that thinks, oh, wow, her life is awesome. She has no problem. She has nothing going on. It's like, no, of course I have problems. Everyone has problems. Of course I have bad days. You know, of course, sometimes I cry or I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm in boxing class, just beating the shit out of the bag. <laughs> you know, everybody has bad days. So that there, you know, there's so many issues with social media because you want to put your best face forward. You want a picture that looks nice with that good filter, but no, that's not always what people look like. Sometimes your hair is a it's mess. Tough. Some, it's so it's tough so because so I don't know what the answer is. I mean, for me personally, it was the thing that it's like, I found myself like this sounds super vain, but again, just out of honesty, it's like, you know, I could be playing out for seven weekends in a row with gigs and then have one weekend off and I'd look at other DJs playing gigs and I'd feel like my career is over. I'd be like, oh man, everyone's out playing gigs and festivals this weekend. And it's like, and I'm sat here doing nothing. And it's like, I know that, that you know, I know how ridiculous that sounds, but it's like, it used to, and I was like, well, what is it? You know, maybe it's like when I'm not out in the clubs, I don't need to be looking at everything that's going on all the time. And it's that, like, you know, like I said, that it's like, I have to use it because it's my job and it's important. And when I've got something new, I have to let people know that what's going on with it. But I try and do it in a way that's never like overly bragging or anything like that. If I'm proud of something, I'm proud of something. I can let people know with it, like, but try and do it in a way that's not like always portraying that I'm the greatest thing in the world, you know, and, and, and at the same time is I don't want to drown people with misery either. Like, you know, kind of like, you know, Hey, these are all my problems. Isn't life so bad for me? You know, it's, it's, I, I don't know how to deal with it best, but I just know that it's like, I try not to do the things that make me feel shit when I look at social media. 
and I try not to spend my life like that looking at the phone and luckily that's another great thing about having a baby is you don't really have that much time to keep looking at Instagram anymore <laughs> you yeah, get to I post think- your flyers <laughs> up and then get out <laughs> Yeah, I think the main thing is, uh, you know, in your case or my case is to use social media as a tool, use it as a business tool, use it to promote what you need to promote, get your message across, always be genuine. And then also just keep in mind that everybody is fake on social media. So, you know, looking at your neighbor who is volunteering and running marathons and wakes up every day at 4 a.m. and always looks perfect with their hair done and their nails done. And, you know, like that's not real. That person, you know, has problems as well (laughs) just like you and me have problems so I think keeping in mind all of that really helps and also to limit the amount of time of scrolling just Mm -hmm. endless scrolling 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 because like you were saying too if if you're home on a Saturday night okay corona aside but home on a Saturday night and you see everybody is out at a crazy club or a crazy party and you're like well my life sucks I'm just home eating chicken noodle soup in my bathroom while all my friends are out at this epic rave you know that's not fair that and you know and and that's happening a lot now with the pandemic too for example we're in europe everything's locked down all of our friends in the u.s you know they're they're at festivals every weekend they're out you know partying and everything is open there so it can be difficult to have that fomo and be like well i'm here in europe everything's closed everything's in total lockdown and all my friends in the u.s are 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 living it up and they're going out to eat and they're going to parties and they're going on trips and it seems to be everything is fine but you know it's it's really easy to get caught in that fomo vicious cycle yeah yeah it really is like i said it's just i think it's just having a sensible balance of it all and the thing is is it's hard to keep that balance like you said that when you're in lockdown i mean what else have you got to do other than keep scrolling on your phone and again that's why i said it's like i got into doing the video game reviews and stuff like that just because it was like it was something to do it's a little project it keeps me busy i feel fulfilled after i've done it no matter how frivolous or pointless it is it makes me feel good about myself and i'm not spending time sitting there looking at how great other people's lives are or how miserable the world is on fi- you know on fire around me or you know i'm not concentrating on how ne- i'm not concentrating on negativity basically i'm just you know focus on creativity which for me that's like equals happiness basically yeah me too you get a lot out of it it's doing something productive it's also doing a service for other people and it's just you have to keep your mind going you know definitely i agree 100 percent. where can people find you online how can they connect with you uh would it be really um patronizing to say social media yeah after (laughs) we just talk so much shit on social media like i said i am i am on it it's just um yeah so um yeah, social media is a good one. I tend to, like, I don't check my inboxes in there because it's like, yeah, you don't even want to see some of the weird stuff that gets sent through. And it's usually like asking me to do stuff that I don't have time for. And people get angry if you say, sorry, I can't do it. So I tend to not look so much at the inboxes, but comments and stuff like that with it. The main way, if you want to just chat and have a hangout, is I do a lot of stuff with um, Twitch. So twitch.tv slash Kutsky is a great way because um, I do the streams three times a week at 7 p.m., UK time, 8 p.m. European time on Sundays, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And for that, it's like it's very it's like open format radio where we're just chatting with people, uh, you know, kind of like in the chat. So if you ever want to just have a chat, it's just a great way to get around it. Because you know what, like Facebook looks like now. I think, I mean, this is a great thing that is like, you know, kind of over 100,000 people on my Facebook page, but you can't have meaningful conversations with everybody 
and also do other things in life. Whereas if I've got that two hours where I'm streaming, people are in and out the chat and they're asking questions and we can chat. So I think, yeah, if I had to say there's one thing, one way that's a good way to kind of like, you know, follow me and get in touch with me and, you know, keep in touch with what I'm doing. And then, yeah, Twitch is a good place to do it, I think. Awesome. And can you also shout out the links to your Instagram, your record label, podcast, all of that as well? I think it's uh, keeping the rave alive on everything for um, for my podcast and brand and just Kutsky, K-U-T-S-K-I on everything else on your, on your app of choice. Twitter, I'm a fan of these days. People always say that Twitter is like super toxic, but for me, it's kind of like I like it. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe because I don't get involved in politics on there or something. I hear politics is pretty nasty. But yeah, I mean, for me, it's like a, you seem to be able to have the, you know, the most highest level um, like com- conversations and information and stuff with it there. So, yeah, Twitter's a good place to chat. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'll link to all that in the show notes as well so people can connect with you. This was so much fun. Thank you so much, Kutsky. I hope to see you again one day soon out at a party. Yeah, I just hope to see you again one day. That's all I'm aiming for at the moment before we both die. Somebody left. <laughs> I know. We used to see each other a bunch. So hopefully one yeah, day we'll see each other. Thanks for having me on the other. podcast and congratulations with everything that you're building here. It's Thank like I've, you been, so I've been much. following it and it's really good. I think we need more of these open, you know, kind of like talk format ones where, like I said, you can get to see more of the, the of the artists. When you look at very, you know, short format interviews and people are just promoting what they're doing, it's that's, like, you know, kind of like that's one thing. But I think here, if somebody's going to be, you know, like talking for like an hour and a half, two hours, then you're going to get to peel back the layers and start to see the, you know, the people behind the artists, which I think is like it's only a positive thing for the scene because there's so many amazing people in the scene that I think sometimes get kind of like masked behind like you know the promotional image and once you actually get to know the real person behind it you get to realize like how the scene is full of so many genuinely amazing people so I think uh good on you for uncovering that thank you that's what I'm striving to do I love long-form conversations I like to talk but I also like to listen to other people I love hearing people's stories and I like to dig deep and I think that, yeah, that's one of the main reasons why I started this podcast, because what was out there before was mostly kind of just short clips, short interviews, and so focused on just DJing, producing. I like to, d- I want to know everything about someone. I, I'm nosy, I suppose, but I, you know, I want to know the personal stuff. I want to know about their hobbies. I want to know about how they got into the scene, why, what inspires them, what they're doing, what their goals are. So yeah. So thank you so much. I appreciate that. Oh, so good. Thank you for having me on. We'll do it again soon. Yeah, for sure. Have a great day. (laughs) Great stuff. You too. Bye. Thanks. Bye. So that was part two of my conversation with DJ Kutsky. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. So now time for some announcements. I recently wrote an artist spotlight for Kutsky for Hardstyle Mag. So I'm going to link to that in the show notes if you want to check that out. Also, you might have seen from my social media that I am a chief editor now at Hardstyle Mag. Uh, Hardstyle Mag is a publication based in Germany, covers all things harder styles. If you guys are interested in having me write an article, maybe about your event or an album, if you're an artist, uh, just shoot me an email at amy.melissa at hardstylemag.com. So now about my fitness journey. So I am now, I'm, I'm around day 30 of the 150 program. 150 is a hard style and fitness program that encourages you to give 150% of your dedication to live your best life and become the best version of yourself. 
Last week, I shared that eating fruit has been a challenge for me. However, I've been eating apples, uh, apples with peanut butter, and also this um, vegan. It's called So Vegan. They're not a sponsor of the podcast, but they're welcome to. It's so delicious. They have it in coconut and chocolate, and I put that on apples. I guess that still counts as eating fruit, but anyway, it's very good. I've also been drinking smoothies, which helped a lot. Uh, I still really need to cut back on the wine and sleep a little bit better, but, you know, it's a slow process. I'm doing the best that I can. Uh, I think the biggest issue is that I'm I'm really an impatient person. So I do one sit-up and eat one salad, and I expect a six-pack the next day, but that's not really how the world works, unfortunately. It takes a lot of time to develop new habits, especially during the winter. Of course, it's very cold, and I've said multiple times on the podcast how much time I spend sitting at a desk um, but now that events are happening again here in the Netherlands I think I'll be uh, up and moving again so that's good the good thing about 150 well one of many good things is that they tailor the program to your specific needs and lifestyle so as much structure as there is there's also a lot of flexibility to do what works for you so for example in the last six months I've had really bad pain in my hips finally I went to the doctor I was given a series of stretches to do every day, and now I incorporate yoga for my hips or lower body stretching into my workouts, which really helps a lot. So anyways, you guys can follow my journey by visiting my personal Instagram at mcunicornofficial. If you're interested in joining me putting some healthy habits into place this year, go to www.150.life. You can use code MCUNICORN to save 10 euros off and transform your life through fitness and heart style. So that's all for today, you guys. If you like the podcast, smash the subscribe button or follow button to stay up to date with all the episodes. For Apple and Spotify listeners, don't forget to leave a five-star review. Uh, just so you guys know, we're available on Mixcloud and SoundCloud now, so go and check that out. I'm always curious to know your thoughts on the episode and who you would like to hear from next, so please hit me up. You can find all the Drop Bass Not Bombs merchandise by going to www.dutchravestore.nl. We have t-shirts, long sleeves, hoodies, backpacks, and more. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Drop Bass Not Bombs NL. And we'll see you next time, Friday, March 4th. Bye!